Welcome to the Awaken Podcast. At Awaken Church, we are passionate about wrestling with and being unraveled by the Christian scriptures. Ideally, we do this together around the table in the neighborhood of Bonas. As we see it, Jesus has invited all of us to encounter Him in a diverse community and participate with Him in a mission of loving our neighbors. Hello. Uh, so I'm Lydia, this is Wayne, and we have four kids. Um, our oldest is Craig, he's married, and we have our little grandbaby, Charlie. And then our next kid is Erin, and she is married to Mark, and they live up in the Yukon, up in Whitehorse. And then our beloved Bryn that we share with you. And then our youngest is Evie. And so, um, yeah, we're just very happy that we could be a part of your service and that you welcome us here. I work part-time at Prairie College in Three Hills, and Wayne is a pastor at Mount Olive Church there. Yeah, and I have been trying to get Lydia to do something like this with me for years, and Nikayla, somehow you are able to <laughs> help me convince her to do this, so, so thank you. So yeah, my, my role actually is recovery pastor. So um, just to maybe put that into context or explain... I think there's a little story that might help under, you understand just what kind of pastor I am. Um, it would have been a few months ago. Uh, we had a lady friend uh, that we'd been working with, um, struggling in an alcohol addiction, and she was doing pretty good. And she called me and said, I have a friend who I would love for you to come and meet with. He's pretty messed up. And I, of course, I agreed. We went over there, and yeah, he was messed up. We walked in. He was very drunk, sitting on the couch in front of a, um, a coffee table full of empties and a stack of about 20 or 30 chocolate bars in the middle. And that had been his, his life the last several weeks. And so we started chatting a bit, um, and he was telling me a little bit of his story. His language was very colorful. And um, so we, yeah, I was trying to share with him a little bit about, you know, what I you know, how we could help him out. And he kind of stopped as he was talking mid-sentence, and he looked at me and he said, what do you do? I said, well, I'm a pastor. And he put his head down and he just started sobbing. And he was so, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, my language, my, I'm so drunk. And I just, you know, dude, it's, it's really, it's okay. And he just went on and on about, anyways, how sorry he was. And finally, my friend, his friend, just leaned over and went, honey, 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 it's okay. He's not a real pastor. So that would be me. That would, that would be me. So if you're looking for a five-point sermon that all start with the same letters, you're probably not going to get that this morning. So apparently this is your third talk on the series of Sabbath. And so this Sunday is Sabbath and addiction and recovery. So um, Nikayla had sent Wayne a really awesome metaphor that is so apt to describe life with addiction, and I thought that maybe I could read a little bit of that, if that's okay. You probably don't remember, but <laughs> it's awesome. If I'm in a canoe, and I have no paddles, and the river is getting turbulent, and there are rocks and waterfalls, I will be screaming and yelling and desperate to get out of the current. But if I have no paddles, and no one can hear my voice, there's nothing I can do, and so I'm trapped between fear and powerlessness desperation and despair. If I can't find a paddle and I can't get to shore, 
the greatest thing ever would be, uh, would be to be given a substance to numb my fears so I could just float and not worry about the impending doom and danger. It would feel pretty nice not to just, to just not feel anything. Addiction feels like a cruel trick because our system thinks the threat is gone for a moment. And so we feel relief, but the reality is our canoe is still crashing downstream to certain destruction. The problem isn't the substance, it's the raging current. In my desperate need for safety, calm, agency over my circumstance, I find a way to get a break. No one can survive long-term terror and powerlessness, and so substances and impulsive behaviors trick us into thinking we're safe for a moment or two. We just go numb for a day and then get back into the canoe. And so this was a very accurate word picture of our lives and the lives of many of our friends that we've gotten to know over the years. You're not going to, you can't do that. Yeah. So, you know what, our introduction, I guess, into recovery ministries happened probably not because we wanted it to. We were a part of a little church. It wasn't that little. In Abbotsford, it was a Fellowship Baptist Church. And a couple started, atten started attending this church, uh, Marvin and Shelley DeClaire. And they had three recovery houses um, for men who were in drug and alcohol addictions. And um, these men were a part of a program that required them to go to church. And because Marvin and Shelley came to our church, it was not unusual for a couple of 15 passenger vans to pull up in front of our church and these guys would, um, would get out. And you know what? Um, they did not look like, talk like, smell like, act like Baptists. And so it was a little off-putting for us at the beginning, but we agreed that it was wonderful that they were at our church. And we had also agreed, though, that, I mean, our kids were little. It was nice having them in the church, but um, having them in our home was not something that was going to happen. Well, about the same time, I was doing a little discipleship group with a couple of guys from my work. Marvin heard about that, and he said, you know what, Wayne, would you consider taking on a couple of these guys? They're interested in the Lord. Um, and, of course, I was like, I was all over that. That would be great. But he said, there's a catch. We'd love it if they could meet in your home. You know, a long story short, for the next, I don't know, five, six years, I would drive in our little eight-passenger van and drive around to these different houses, which, of course, expanded. We became known as the church that was okay to go to if you were messy and um, pick up a dozen guys. It was pretty hilarious. Come back to our house. Lydia would make this amazing dessert, and we'd sit around as a family and just hang out with them. And they, um, most of them, these guys were from East Hastings, which if you've ever been downtown, it's a per Vancouver. It's a crazy place. And these guys were drug addicts, alcoholics. Many of them were um, not only users, but sold as well and had been in prison. And here they were in our home. And um, we would have some very interesting Bible studies. And over the course of those five, six years, I think we had over 60 men in our home. And God kept us safe. Um, I think we got a digital camera stolen once. But otherwise, we, would, we got to measure the, the effectiveness of our church and our Bible studies by the number of cigarette butts that were in the ashtrays. And so it was awesome. Just one little story. I, I, I'm not going to tell too many stories about Bryn um, because I could be here all day. But just to, to explain kind of the effect that these guys had, there was um, one guy named Gord. 
And he was a mammoth of a man, big gourd, and um, probably mid-40s. And um, he was a scary guy. He really was. He has slick back gray hair. But um, he found, fell in love with Jesus, and we fell in love with him. And I was talking to kids in one night, and um, Bryn said, and Bryn would have been five or six, six or seven, maybe, something like that, yeah. And Bryn said, Dad, God told me to raise some money for Gord. Well, see, Gord had a heart for kids, and God had called Gord to go help out at an orphanage that was being built in Africa. And, of course, Gord didn't have any money, so Bryn took it on herself to raise money for Gord. And so, um, a long story, but she got her little sister, who was five, to help her make a poster, and Bryn went up front with this poster and, um, and sold the congregation on supporting Gord. And I remember I was cleaning up after worship, or after, anyway, music stuff. Bryn came running up and said, Dad, Dad, um, they put paper money in. And she had gotten this, it was a coffee can. And one of them says, a hundred. So she was pretty effective. I think she raised seven or 800 bucks that day, so thought that was so awesome do it next week and I think she we ended up getting gored off to Africa so just a little bit of an idea of the impact that those guys had on us so in about 2002 our family went on a holiday to Ontario and we spent one of our days at Niagara or Queenston Heights Park on in Niagara on the lake so at one point we walked down to the river's edge and it's a really wide river, so you could see people boating. And, and there was this rope swing out into the river. And so our oldest, Craig, you know, was swinging out and jumping in the, in the river. And, and it was a strange thing to think that eight kilometers down river was Niagara Falls. And so in just like the river metaphor, at this time in our lives, we were completely unaware that addictions and undealt with pain was sweeping our little family towards that falls. So alcohol played a strange role in our lives and there seemed to be an undercurrent of conflict between us about drinking. In my mind, Wayne drank too much and he was adamant that it was not a problem. So we lived many years with this disparity. Things would bubble up on occasion, but usually it just simmered under the surface. When we did have alcohol in our home, it would quickly and quietly disappear and it would annoy me because it seemed wasteful and weird that Wayne would just selfishly drink it all. And then Wayne would shrug it off, and because I was codependent, I wouldn't force the issue. I really didn't want to rock the boat. Wayne was also a workaholic, and the irony of this addiction is that he was a very good provider. And so as far as material possessions went, our family was well provided for. At one point, working 14-hour days and taking the job personally cost Wayne a lot but he'll talk a little bit more about that. So we were determined, though, to stay in our canoe, which now held Wayne, me, our four kids, and our dog, Misty. So to stay in the canoe, it seemed safer by far than trying to head for the distant shoreline. We knew about paddles and even had them on hand. We had scripture, and we knew how to pray, and we had a church family, but somehow actually using those paddles to get our canoe to safe waters was a whole other thing. And looking back, I realized I was so out of touch with my emotions, my feelings, my inner self, my pain. I didn't even know what I needed, let alone how to ask for help. So we moved to Alberta in 2010, 
and have been, had been here almost three years when Wayne's drinking became completely unmanageable. This was a time of fear, uncertainty, and anger. We were becoming fractured as a family and something needed to be done. Have any of you ever been to Niagara Falls? You know the thunderous sound of the falls when you're standing there and the overspray you get of the mist? Well, I think that that's how close we were to the falls in our life. And it was our wake-up call. And it seemed we were about to go over. So on March 13th, 2013, Wayne sat down with the kids and I and admitted that he was an alcoholic and that he needed help. So within 10 days, he'd gone to recovery and spent 30 days at a recovery center called Valiant. It was our rock bottom. We weren't sure what life would look like from that point on. Would Wayne be able to stay sober? Lying awake at night, I'd wonder, how did this happen to us? And what do we do now? Well, it's more. Oh, I wanted to do my C.S. Lewis quote. He says, we can ignore even pleasure, but pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf, a deaf, a deaf world. Lydia alluded a little bit um, to a struggle um, that I had with rest. And 10 years, 15 years before that incident, growing up in a very conservative evangelical home, Sabbath to me meant going to church Sunday morning, um, well, Sunday school first, of course, went home and had a roast beef dinner, had a nap, which we had no choice but to do, um, couldn't play sports, and then went back to church that evening. That was our, that was our Sabbath. You know, I began to learn about the importance of rest in, began to, July of, of 96. You know, um, I just started a new company. It was a couple years old. Ridiculously long days, as Lyd said. Um, I went, uh, when I wasn't at work, I was at church. I was a worship leader, an elder, uh, multiple committees. I think I remember asking our kids, you know, so what do you think of church? When you hear the word church, what does that come to mind? And I believe it was probably Bryn because she said, well, it's a place where you spend all your time. That wasn't what I wanted our kids to, to know about church. High-stress young family, poor eating habits, traveling a lot, not sleeping, um, no exercise, little time with God. I hit my wall, and I found myself curled up in the corner of the bathroom, paralyzed. I did manage to call Lydia, and uh, she came and picked me up. And um, for the next six weeks, I was in the bedroom, uh, curled up in a fetal position, unable to work. I lost 25 pounds. By the grace of God, I didn't lose my job or my family, but it's impossible to explain unless you've gone through that level of, of mental illness, exactly um, what it's like going through that. And I don't wish it on anyone. I was diagnosed with clinical depression. I had no idea what was going on. Uh, we were really actually alone at that time. I think we scared everybody away. Mental health was not understood the way it is today in our friends in church. I think really, um, yeah, they were, they, they left us. I'd, um, anyway, it didn't seem that um, we could just pray it away. I didn't understand that we had this God-given need to develop a healthy lifestyle that includes our body, mind, and our spirit. I'd never been 
taught how to slow down and how to rest. Um, I recovered, I did, uh, but sadly I didn't learn. Lydia shared a little bit about what happened to us 10 years ago. It's like he, um, he said to me, Wayne, you want to keep going 100 miles an hour every day for years at a time without learning how to rest. And he didn't just mean church on Sunday. You want to medicate your trauma, anxiety, and depression with work, porn, alcohol, tobacco, church? Fine. I'm going to give you rest, but it's going to suck. Can I say that here? Yeah. In those weeks at rehab, for the first time, I began to understand about mental health and trauma and how it affects my entire body. I began to understand how trauma had created wounds and pain. Um, I didn't, I wasn't this emotional when we were reading it before. Anyways, it's probably still that prayer at the beginning that messed me up, that ultimately led to a need to medicate. I actually began to understand my brain, which was very eye-opening for me. I learned about dopamine, about my limbic system, that inclu and included in the limbic system is this little part of your brain called the amygdala, which, um, which regulates emotion and memory, and it's associated with the brain's reward system, stress, and the fight-flight response. Also about my frontal cortex, which the decision-making part of my brain. I, I discovered how porn, for example, literally ate holes into my frontal cortex, and so literally my brakes were shot. It was like trying to slow down a semi with bicycle brakes. It just didn't matter how hard I tried, I couldn't stop. I'd actually wake up in the mornings during the worst of my addiction at 3 a.m. and my hands would be shaking, and that wouldn't stop until I went into my little hiding place in the garage and had a couple of snorts vowing I wouldn't drink again until later that day when I'd find myself sitting in front of a liquor store at quarter to 10 and just say, you know what, I'm just going to buy one of the little ones and then that's it, no more, until I was on my way home from Calgary and I'd pass by Costco and everything's bigger at Costco, right? And I would buy one of the big ones and sadly, and I think back now and it just horrifies me, a quarter of it would be gone in that hour drive back to Three Hills. See, I needed to detox or to rest my brain. I needed to learn to feel again. I had learned over the years that when pain got too much, you just medicate. I needed to remove the noise and listen to the things that were causing the pain. That was really, really hard. Now I had started to learn to cope with the past traumas in my life without substances I had turned to for so many years. Gabor Maté, who was a physician and author, um, he spent, I think, about a dozen years in downtown Vancouver working with people on the streets of East Hastings. Um, he says that trauma starts somewhere between the womb and the age of six. That's kind of sobering, actually, when you think about it, especially for those of us that have kids. There are big T traumas like sexual abuse and um, divorce, when our parents break up, those are, those are big ones, but they're devastating effects on us, and no matter what our age, um, they're awful. For most of us, though, it's a bunch of little T, T traumas, being bullied, not being shown affection from our parents, verbal and emotional ab abuse, labels. These are all the things that create those thousands of little cuts that eventually, over years, take us out. Those few weeks in rehab were really tough days, tough for me, tough for Lydia, and tough for our kids. But God knew 
what he was doing. He was going to use our pain to speak hope. It's coming into the lives of others. Yeah, and I also began to realize just how empty I was too. I'm the spouse of an alcoholic, and for myself, the codependency has been difficult to deal with. In definition, codependency is excessive emotional or psychological reliance on a partner, typically one who requires support on account of an illness or addiction. Wayne was moving ahead with his recovery, but I was still stuck, and it seemed unfair to me because it was all his fault. But at the end of the day, I knew the only person responsible for me was me. A program called Freedom Session came along, which I joined, desperate enough to do whatever it took to get past the blockade that kept me from living a life free of fear. The first thing I had to do was name the harmful behaviors I'd been using to protect myself. For me, these behaviors were simply withdrawing and avoidance. I'd sit on the couch under a blanket with my cup of tea and watch Netflix for days. I also had to learn about the denial that I was in. I recognized that I'd minimized everything. I was just trying to make them all manageable. But deeper yet, the coping mechanisms I was using were really to deal with the inner pain I tried to hide. And probably the lies I believe right from a little, little person all the way through. So um, the fear of rejection, the not being good enough, being a failure. These were all lies I believed about myself. And so this program took 28 weeks of hard work and connecting with other people on the same journey, but I began to heal. And you may have heard that the opposite of addiction isn't sobriety, it's connection. We are called to relationship. You want me to keep going, Wayne? So how does this connect with Sabbath, you might ask? When I was constantly avoiding, so busy, avoiding pain, when I didn't like myself, let alone love myself, I had no connection with a loving God and I was never at a place of deep inner rest. I was finally able to get to know myself and love myself and forgive myself and others, to take ownership over the areas I needed to and have the confidence to share honestly and wisely about my pain with a new vulnerability. No need to hide or withdraw or avoid. I could find true deep inner rest because I no longer needed to worry about my identity. The power of shame in my life was diminishing because I was learning to love myself and as a result, know deep down that God truly does love me. <clears throat> my deep peace, my Sabbath rest, if you may, is something I'm learning by being quiet with God. And I try to do it every day. I'm learning to breathe, just breathe and meditate. I have an app on my phone called Pray As You Go, and I don't use it all the time, but it directs me to calm my heart and mind and meditate on God. I rewatched a video called Godspeed, The Pace of Being Known, and I think it was in your prayer about knowing people and being known. And so it's similar to a book that was written called Three Mile an Hour God. It's the idea of being content to go at God's speed not expecting God to keep up with our 60-mile-an-hour rat race through the chaos of life. It's learning to look people in the eyes and listen to them as they share, taking the time to connect. And I'm, I'm finally doing that. 
And Wayne and I are finally doing that with each other. To be authentic, to be content, to have fun and enjoy life together in community, to play pickleball and disc golf. You know, a few things out there. I'm finally doing those things. And so Tom Wright says in the video, slow down so God can catch up. Walk with him. Let him know us. Let other people know us. It is truly the pace of being known. Eugene Peterson uses a beautiful verse in the video. It's Jeremiah 6.16, and it says, Go stand at the crossroads and look around. Ask for directions to the old road, the tried and true road. Then take it. Discover the right route for your souls. So yeah, together, um, our lives are filled with messy people. And I wanted to just share one of those um, you know, I love, I love the fridge and the pantry out front. I think people are generally that are, um, in, aren't interested in Jesus when their stomachs are empty. And, and we've certainly found that out too. Uh, just one little story of, of a lady who came to our church. She called me a couple of years ago. Um, she was picking up her dad at the Red Deer Detox the next day, and she didn't have a clue what to do with him. She had never known her dad um, not being drunk and he's my age just a year older um, she didn't know what to do with him so she brought him to the church um, I told him a little bit about myself and about my story by the way I just just in case you want that's a 10-year sobriety pin so pretty cool my it's actually Bryn's idea did a big party for me a month ago and it was pretty great so I told him a little bit about my story and he said um well, it sounds like maybe you're one of us. But he said, I don't want any of your effing religious BS. I assured him that, that, that I was not a fan of religious BS either. So I think we would get along just fine. So we met often. Uh, we got to know each other. But he relapsed. And we'd get together again. And he would relapse. That was a regular thing. He wanted nothing to do with any treatment centers. Um, he moved, we moved him, I think, three times, like physically moved his stuff, brought him to detox, tried detoxing him in at home, at home once. That didn't go well. Carried him out of a bar a couple of times. Finally, he, he did agree to go to rehab. And on this last Thursday evening, um, his daughter and I went to Calgary Dream Center um, to celebrate one year of sobriety with Gary. Yeah. So Gary is a new man. And um, it was amazing to hear him talk about his relationship with the Lord. Um, you know, he said, for the first time in my life, I'm at peace. I can sleep at nights. Gary is making a difference now in men's lives. He has found hope and rest. And I could give you many stories like that, as well as many that did not end that way. But by the grace of God, our values as a ministry um, in our recovery ministry are connection, hope, and change. I really believe that that is the order. Connection leads to hope, which leads to change, transformation. Over the past years, we have developed some amazing programs at Mount Olive for folks who are struggling with mental health, addictions of all different kinds. We have AAs and NAs and Celebrate Recovery in our community now. Uh, we have this thing we do on Saturday mornings. It's kind of a whole bunch of us that have struggled. Um, there's been up to 25 guys that show up at 7 o'clock in the morning um, and we drink some bad church coffee, 
we get in a big circle and count off in fours or fives and go into a little room together and we share our stuff. And it's become an awesome thing. We now have two full-time counselors with master's degrees in addiction and trauma on staff. They're slammed busy every day. And the cool part is that over half of them um, of our clients have never stepped into the door of a church before. In our conservative little Bible Belt town, people are finding community and hope, and their lives are being changed, and they are finding rest. You know, programs and counseling are good, but it's mostly because of a crazy idea that I think Jesus had about 2,000 years ago. Uh, he invited 12 messy men to just simply follow him. He said, yeah, it's okay. Bring your addiction. You want to read this? <laughs> Can I? Bring your addiction. Bring your pain. Bring your broken relationships. Just follow me. Are you hungry? I'll feed you. Need a place to live? Yeah, come to my house. He did that every day with them for three years. Hmm. He taught them a whole bunch of things. But I think one of the most important was how to rest, how to declutter your minds of the noise and just focus on Jesus. Anyway, there's so much more that we could share um, about our journey and about what we're doing now. But um, I just, yeah, I guess I want you to know that, um, yeah, this is what we get to do. So um, I'm sure if you want to talk to us, you could find out through Bryn. Um, but yeah, we'd love to, no matter where you're at, we'd love to journey with you and, um, and help you on that road to finding rest and peace that God can give. So thank you so much for giving us this time. And Bryn, she could have warned you that I am a babbling baby when I talk about things that I'm really passionate about, but that's okay. So thank you. And thank you, Lydia, for joining as well. Anyway, blessings on you guys. Oh, and let's let's pray um, before we partake in communion together. Father, you are good, and you are faithful, and your love has no bounds. And thank you that we can gather um, here today. Thank you for stories, and um, Lord, you do want us, want to use us, um, you want to meet us right where we're at today. So, um, Lord, I pray that if there's been anyone here that's just been bound by shame and fear and um, just needs to, to connect, Lord, that you would, um, by your grace, give them the courage to do that. Um, thank you for this church and the work of it. I pray that you will bless it um, and just continue to yeah, go before us, Lord, as we celebrate um, with communion today. So we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.